Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. With that being said, I'd love to invite you to open up a Bible to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. You can pull out a Bible app, look it up on your phone, Google it. Uh, We'll also have it up on the screen. This is the last Sunday of our series that we've called Firm Foundations. We've been talking about some key foundational postures or principles that we want to embody as a church community. And, and we're going to talk about or just remind and review what those were in just a moment. Um, but what, uh, what we've been doing with this is we, we just want to say for us and, and for people outside of our church, when they look at us, what do, they, what do we want them to see that we practice? What are our behaviors, our core behaviors? Well, it's one thing to say belief, but I think it's a lot more important to say what do we, how do we actually behave? Like what is it we actually do? I think that says a lot more about us sometimes than just simply what we, we like to think that we believe. And so what we've been doing is spending some time thinking through what it looks like to be a Christ-centered community a discipleship-motivated community, a spirit-compelled community, and a prayer-driven community. And we're going to uh, look at these a little more. But uh, what I, what I want to do just to frame the final one that we're going to talk about this morning is I just want you to get thinking about a time in your life. Uh, this might be a little nostalgic for some of you. Think about a time in your life where you had a really great thing going that you didn't want to end. Uh, a season of your life, perhaps. Um, perhaps it was uh, a time in, in college, and you just had this great group of friends, and it was just an incredible time. Man, that's a season you just didn't want that to end. Or maybe a particular job and coworkers you had, where you're like, man, this is amazing. Or maybe a neighborhood with with friends uh, your age, or maybe as an adult, a fr- friends with kids your kids' age, and just different seasons of life that we have, where we're like, man. I, I just want it to be like this forever. This is such a great season. Or you look back fondly on that time. You all have that in your mind right now? You got a time in your life? Uh, so so I, I think sometimes these are incredible gifts to us. And, and there's a church that we're going to read about here in Acts 13 that was having one of those seasons of life. It was just so good to be a part of the church in this city called Antioch. And this city called Antioch was pretty amazing, and this church was really amazing. This is a group of people. They were gathered. They were so devoted to Jesus, and, and they were doing some crazy stuff that, that people started to call them names. And what they would do to call them names is it was just like this derogatory term they would call them. It's like, wow, you guys are like acting like, what do you think you are, a bunch of little Jesuses? A, little, a bunch of little Christs running around? You're acting so much like him. And it was actually a derogatory term, but that's where the term Christian actually comes from. Is, is there, Christian just means a little Christ. And it was meant to poke fun at people who were just completely given, this community completely given to being like Jesus to the people in the city of Antioch. But this community was amazing. At one, one story, at another point in Acts, um, there's this, there was this prophet, one of the leaders in their church, in Acts, and, and God uh, gave him this word that there was going to be a famine 
and in Jerusalem and that they should uh, take an offering to make sure that the, the church in Jerusalem, which was much more poor than they were, would have enough. And that, that actually happened. And this church was like, well, let's give as much as we can. And they gave this huge amount of money and, and gave that to the church in Jerusalem. So these, these folks were really serious about following Jesus, about being generous. They, they wanted to give their lives away to, to other people who needed it. And there were these teachers and these, and these prophets and these different leaders. And they were probably hearing, this church is probably hearing some of the best sermons of their life. You all know what that, that's like, though, obviously. Uh, they were hearing, they were just in some incredible worship, the incredible prayer. They, they're just the time God was doing so much stuff in this community. What a time to be alive. They didn't want to change anything. This was the best moment of their lives. This is the best season of their lives. And what did they do but the most radical thing they could possibly do? They broke it all up. They broke the whole thing up. And we're going to talk. They didn't do this just randomly. We're going to read what happened in, in this story in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. It says this. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, the companion of King Herod of Antipas, Saul, and one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. All right, that sounds nice. A couple people are going, but we can keep this thing going here, right? Yeah, except Barnabas and Paul were really significant reasons for why this church was doing so well. Paul was probably one of the best, most well-educated Bible teachers that they had in this church community in Antioch. And Barnabas, Barnabas is like what the kids call, I don't even know if the kids say this anymore. He's, Barnabas is like an OG Christian. Like, he's, he's original. Like, he was there at Pentecost or shortly after. He, he was original to this group, like, early in Acts. There's stories about Barnabas going to, to first to this place in Antioch to see, is this a real move of God? The apostles, Peter and John and all of them, trusted Barnabas. So Barnabas is a really significant leader. So you're losing this super significant leader that was there almost from the beginning of the church, and you're losing Paul, who's one of the most well-educated Bible teachers of his day. And you're going, wait, you can't go. This thing can't work without you. Imagine like your friend group kind of deciding they're going to like go their separate ways after college. And you just have that like, oh, it's really ending. This is so tragic. This is sad. And they have this feeling of, man, I don't think we can do this. What are we going to do? But it was clear to them, this, this community that was, can you put those back up on the screen? They were Christ-centered, right? They weren't after their own agenda or building their own, their own thing here. And, and they were discipleship motivated. They wanted to give themselves fully to Jesus. They were compelled by the Spirit. We see that happening in this passage. They were prayer-driven. We see that happening here too. And all of this led them to say, other people need what we are experiencing in this community here in Antioch. 
Other people need to see and other cities around the world need to know and experience what's going on here. So this can't stay here. It's got to go somewhere else. It's got to go be in the cultures and in the cities and in the places elsewhere. Now, another thing about Antioch that's really nice to know uh, is, is that Antioch was super prosperous. It was right on the major trade roads. Uh, this is like a, a version of like a New York City of its day. There's commerce and economic success flowing through here. You had to go through Antioch to get to Greece or to Rome or to Egypt or to go into Persia. Like all of this wealth and money was flowing through here. There was, there was one early uh, Christian writer who said that the markets were so packed in Antioch, full of so many goods that people didn't even know what to do with all this stuff. It was so much for their day and age. The markets would be open till well past midnight. They just had so much stuff to give away. It, it was crazy. So it, you could live pretty comfortably in this city. So I'm like, man, you know, I get to follow Jesus. God's doing all this stuff. And I kind of like get to have brunch too, which is nice. I get this really comfortable environment. I get this really nice place to be. This is so good. There's so many good things happening here. And here's my point in bringing all this up. What the Holy Spirit was doing with this church, and they realized it, what the Holy Spirit was doing was he brought this church in Antioch together, not so that they could be comfortable and experience all these nice things for themselves, but he was bringing them together to prepare them to go. He was bringing them together to prepare them to go. Because Antioch was on this major trade route, see, you didn't just have um, United Airlines that you could hop on back then. You didn't have a Greyhound bus you could take. There were no commuter trains. If you wanted to get anywhere, you had to go on foot, and you'd probably be best waiting for a big trade caravan because there was safety in numbers. But when you're in Antioch, there's people going everywhere because trade's going everywhere. So you could safely and easily travel anywhere you needed to go. So God's preparing this community in this vital, critical city with a real purpose. They're in the transportation hub, the economic hub, a cultural hub. They've got people from every ethnicity and culture. They've been prepared to do this thing where they are sharing the gospel with people from other places and who are different than them. And now they're ready to go. And this is what God's been doing. In Antioch, you could get anywhere. And because of this, Antioch, the church in Antioch, was the most influential mission-sending church of the first 500 years of church history. There are churches that were planted out of Antioch. Do you know what happened? They went to Persia, which is modern day kind of Iran, that area. They planted churches there. And then those people planted churches a little further into modern day Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, all those areas. And then those people went a little further into Mongolia and China. And those people went a little further and planted churches as far away as Japan. All from Antioch. That all, there's a direct line historians can trace it all back to Antioch. Isn't that amazing? All because of people who said, man, this is too good for us to hold on to. This is too good to just come into the room on a Sunday or whenever they would meet and say, wow, God did so many things. This was so nice. This was so powerful. I needed to hear this word. Thank you. And then it gives us enough gas to make it till Tuesday. What God was doing in there was preparing them to embody it out there. 
What God was doing was taking this Christ-centered, discipleship-motivated, spirit-compelled, prayer-driven people to then go do that across the globe. Did you know Christianity is the only world religion that does not demand any kind of cultural assimilation into its original audience? Like, what I mean by that is, it doesn't require you to become Jewish, because it's a very Jewish-oriented religion. It doesn't require you to learn Hebrew. The Bible's like the most translated book into the most languages anywhere in the world in all of history. Because the point is to send and to body, and we don't lose the truth of the gospel, but it gets into a way of communicating that makes sense in every culture, in every language, in every place. In a sense, there's not one sacred space or one sacred location that everyone looks to. Everywhere that people following Jesus are becomes sacred space. Everywhere. So that means that you're here, you're in sacred space. If you're some of the folks who are down at our booth right now at Autumn Lights, you're in sacred space. If you're meeting with your life group in the middle of the week, you're in sacred space. Because you're multiplying and you're being the church in all of these spaces and places. So here's my point for us. The Holy Spirit did not bring you to the plant to be comfortable, to get what you need, to fill you up for the week, to make sure you experience a nice sermon. I know my sermons are amazing, guys, like I said. But that was, I'll pay you later, Johnny. Thank you. Um, The Holy Spirit didn't bring you here for a nice experience. You're in this room right now because the Holy Spirit wants to prepare you together with the folks sitting around you to go out into the world, go out into West Milford, go into your neighborhoods, your networks, some of you to other nations to bring that sacred space wherever you go. This is why Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. That's the church. The Holy Spirit did not bring you here to be comfortable or to have your beliefs or your way of life confirmed. He brought you here to get ready to go. Now, we're called to be what we call a multiplication-minded church. We want to be a multiplication-minded. When we are all of these other things, Christ-centered, discipleship-motivated, spirit-compelled, prayer-driven, we become a multiplication-minded church. Now, there's two different things. By the way, I'm trying to keep this short and sweet because I'm giving you an assignment today, and I need to leave you time to accomplish that. So we're going to try and shorten this message in just a minute. We're called to be multiplication-minded. So, so we could do one of two things as a church, as a plant, plant church. We've got a location in Mawa where, it origin, where the church originally started 15 years ago, and then we have this, which is started pre-COVID, relaunched about 18 months ago. What we could do with our church, our whole church as a plant, is we could do one of two things. We could be multiplication-minded, or we could be maintenance-minded. Let me explain what maintenance-minded is. When we're maintenance-minded, everything focuses on making sure we do things really well and right when we gather together. It means that the music's got to be spot on. 
it means that the sermons just got, I know the sermon's amazing, but like it's got to be even better. You, you've got, it means that like every Sunday you have to feel like there's so much buzz, so much anticipation. You got to hype it up a little bit. And the problem, there's so many problems with that, but we don't have time to get into it. I'm, I'm, I'm showing my hand a little too quickly. But what that, that requires us to be is a little more um, hype people instead of Holy Spirit people. Because you have to do this so well that people love coming back. But let me tell you something. If we were a maintenance-minded church, you want to actually know what we would do if we were a maintenance-minded church? Seriously, Rob and I actually were talking about this, preparing for this message. He's, I think he's saying something similar. Were you at the first service in Mawa? No, okay. So I was going to say, I didn't know if you, you heard this already, but we talked about this. What would we actually do as a church if we wanted to be maintenance-minded? You know what we would do? We would close this campus down. We would invite everyone from a 35, 45-minute radius to come to one place in Mawa. And I want to tell you something. So my, my other role, in, in addition to pastoring this campus, is I oversee all of our worship teams at both of our campuses. So Lindsay, Steve Nieves, who's our, our worship coordinator there, we'd reorganize our roles. Lindsay and myself would probably lead worship like most Sundays. Steve Nieves would be the music director. We'd have killer, I, I'm telling you, it would be amazing. And then not only Rob and myself, but we've got people like Pastor Paul and Sue and, and Steve Bailey, who's gonna be preaching here in a couple weeks and uh, so many others. We would have a killer preaching team. Let me tell you how good this team would be. It would be amazing. And let me tell you, you are going to be inspired and walked away, fueled up with enough energy to get you through Tuesday every single week. You would be so pumped. You'd be like, you gotta come check out my church. It's so good. It's so good. I'm not even kidding. This is what we would do if we were a maintenance-minded church because when you're maintenance-minded, everything is about doing this church thing right. Everything's about doing the building and gathering thing perfectly. If our goal was to be maintenance-minded, we would gather with four or 500 people every week probably two, three services. It'd be a lot of services on a Sunday. Yeah. And it'd just be, oh man, it'd be amazing. We'd get, we would grow that gathering very large. But you know it would not happen. The seven teenagers that came to our first open gym this past Friday wouldn't be there. You know it wouldn't happen. We wouldn't have two of our people at our church right now present in the community at Autumn Lights Festival at our booth where there's about to be 30,000 people that come through there today. You know, it wouldn't happen. Our neighbors who are already checked out from, from any kind of church experience, they're not driving 35, 40 minutes to an experience on a Sunday morning. You might. You're already kind of bought into it. Some of you. But, but your neighbors aren't coming to that. Why would I go down there? I can go somewhere else. It's closer. Or I could just skip and sleep. I got to get up early to get down there. <laughs> but if we're multiplication-minded instead of maintenance-minded, 
Yeah, we might be spreading ourselves a little thin with our, our worship and our preaching and our staffing and our leaders. But that just means there's more gaps for all of you to step up into. Yeah, we, we might not have a flashy experience on a Sunday morning. All of us know how to do the flashy thing. We're not interested in doing the flashy thing. Instead, we want to be present with people in the community that they're in. We want to be present with people in our life groups, right in the community that they're already living in. We want to think about, like, how does the kingdom of God get worked out in this neighborhood here? Not just in an experience that's really nice and uplifting on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. How do we work out the nitty-gritty of reconciling with our neighbors, praying for healing when people are sick, of forgiving one another when there's real offense that's taken place? How do we work out those really deep, heavy kingdom things in real situations on the ground? We wouldn't be able to be present to 30,000 people in West Milford on Union Valley Road for Autumn Lights. We wouldn't be able to be present for those seven teenagers that showed up. And a few parents as well hanging out. Some of them actually saying, what were the words? We have been praying for something like this. We've been saying for, for months, we've been saying for a few years, it's been told to us over and over again, there's a huge need for space for teenagers to just be able to hang and be present. And we can be present to them in this kind of space. But none of that happens if we're maintenance-minded. We have to, together, not just as an organization, every single one of us need to collectively understand that we are a multiplication-minded church. So whether it's reaching teens here in West Milford, providing food through the food pantry in the community, partnering with gospel work in France, whatever it is, we want to be a multiplication-minded church in our neighborhoods, in our networks, in our communities. We are not here to play around. If we wanted to play church, we could go do maintenance mode. We could play real good. But what we want to see is the kingdom of God multiplied in neighborhoods, in relational networks all over West Milford and surrounding communities. Think about all of the relationships and the neighbor connections that each of you have in, in this area and the surrounding community. Think about the life groups that you're a part of. Think about the connections that those group of people have. Think about how you could be present to what Jesus is doing in those spaces. If you want to see life change in a deep way, in an expansive way, in an exponential way, we have to be multiplication-minded. That's how we see the kingdom of God come. That's how we can give witness to Jesus and all the work he's doing across the globe. So I said I wanted to keep this short because I, I, have, a, I have an assignment for you. I want to challenge you, as many of you are, uh, as many of you as are able to. 
grammar. As many of you can, I want to challenge you. We're going to end in just a moment. It's a little early. And I want to challenge you to walk down, because there's probably no parking closer right now. I want to challenge you to walk down to the Autumn Lights Festival. It started 25 minutes ago. I want to challenge you to go, not by yourself, go with a group of at least two or three, if not more. And I want to challenge you to be present in the community. I'm going to give you a way to do that in just a moment. But here's what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Sandy, would you mind just seeing if anyone needs communion? Can you put your hand up if you need communion? We're going to take communion together, and I'm going to explain what we're going to do here. I need one too, Sandy, actually. Would you mind? Anyone who needs communion, would you just raise your hand? Keep your hands up if you need that. Thank you. And, and I want to invite you to do something. Every week during this series, do you remember what we've been doing at the close of the sermon? What have we been doing? Go ahead, you can talk to me. No one remembers? Were you all unconscious? What have we been doing when the sermon closes every week? What? Praying. Praying? That was a lucky guess, praying. No, what have we been making space to do? Yeah, silence, preparing for communion, listening to God, reflecting. What do we need to repent of? Is that what she said? I thought someone said that. Anyway, why am, I, why am I talking to you like this? Here's my point. We've been intentionally doing that because this Christian life is not about going, oh yeah, that was good. I agree with everything he said this morning. The Christian life is about going, how do I embody this in my behavior, in my practice? How do I live this? That is the Christian life. It is not a, I agree with this set of rules and beliefs. It is a, how do I live this? And communion is the ultimate practice to embody the good news of Jesus. Let me explain why. We've been reading every week from 1 Corinthians where, where Paul says, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. And we see in Acts, we read this a few weeks ago, that they would break bread in the temple. That's communion. They would break bread in homes over meals. In the community, Apostle, the Apostle Paul once is on a ship in the book of Acts in the middle of a storm, and it says he broke bread. This is a space to invite Jesus into for all of life. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Can you stand? And I want you to take your little wafer, your bread, and your cup, and I want you to just raise that up in the air for a minute. I want you to raise it up. Every time we, not you as individuals, every time we take the bread and drink the cup, we are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. We're announcing the good news that Jesus has defeated death 
The good news that he's defeated sickness. The good news that he has reconciled the whole world back to God. That he has forgiven. That he's healed. That he's set free. Every time we do this together, we are announcing that reality. And Jesus said, whenever you do that, whenever you gather with two or three in his name, he's there too. I mentioned earlier, you're going to church no matter whether you're here at Autumn Lights, wherever you are in the community. So here's what you're gonna do. I wanna challenge as many of you as are able to do this. When you go to Autumn Lights, go with at least two or three of you. And I want you to get food from a street vendor. There's a bunch of food down there. Yes. People are going to the empanada truck. Amen. Our plant booth is close to the empanada truck. That's the Lord right there. And the Zeppelis that you got, you got lunch and dessert. You're good to go. This is God. This is God setting us up. Here's what I want you to do though. Seriously, get your food from the vendor. As soon as you all have your food, don't eat it casually. I want you to invite Jesus to be present in that meal. Just like he's present as we take this meal. And I want you to walk around that street fair with different eyes. Eyes to see what Jesus is up to. You will be, I'm telling you, if you do, you're like, why is this is weird. I am telling you, if you do this, you will not be able to unsee what you begin to see. Jesus is working constantly. You're gonna overhear conversations. You're gonna observe behaviors. You're gonna see things. God might, when I do this, most of the time what I see is, wow, how different would that situation be if they could let the forgiveness or reconciliation of Jesus enter into that conversation right now? Some of us need to figure that out too. All of us, in fact. But my point is this. I want you to see because it's going to stir a different kind of prayer in your heart. It's going to stir a different kind of posture in your heart. You're going to begin to walk all over and see God wants to do something there. God wants to do something there. God wants to do something there. Now, you're not going so you can now fix all of these problems and interrupt them in their little space. I just want to be clear about that. But what you're going to do is be present so you can begin to see and get a heart to where God wants to move and work. If he shows it to you, he wants you to pay attention. Are you following me? You hearing me? You're gonna walk around Union Valley Road and I trust me, you are going to be amazed at what you see with two or three others gathered together essentially taking communion together over empanadas and zeppelis. Saying, Jesus, be present with us as we're here. Be present with us as we enjoy this meal. Thank you, God. We pray that you would work among us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing even in this place. Because you're Lord over this place, just like you are in our church building. Are you up for this? Two people. Awesome. Praise God. That's all we need. Two or more, right? That's all we need. Are you up for this? Yes. As many of you as can go, I really want to challenge you to go do this. So that's your challenge to step into it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. He took bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat.
And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Plant family, I pray that you would announce the good news of Jesus until he comes. Let's close in worship before we go. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org. 